Hey, listeners, this is Neil Ludevic and Amir Jandali. Welcome to Leave Looking Up, where we have uplifting conversations about the state of the world with our heroes, with the intention to demystify, orient, and leave you, our listeners, inspired. For this episode, we sat down with two incredible humans that are changing the game when it comes to finding your dream job. Jonathan Javier and Jerry Lee are co-founders of an incredible organization called One Salting. Founded in 2019 with the mission of turning underdogs into winners, One Salting focuses on helping people from non-traditional backgrounds secure offers from top companies like Google, Facebook, Deloitte, Goldman Sachs, and more. In three years, they managed to build a community of over 1.5 million followers on social media, garnered over 50 million views of their content online, and built partnerships with more than 70 companies, including Google, Cisco, and Zillow. In today's episode, we talk about the importance of finding self-confidence to achieve success in your career, why balancing hard work with rest is key, and how sometimes our dream companies aren't what we expect. And now, without further ado, let's start this episode. We hope you enjoyed as much as we did and that you leave afterwards looking up. What up, y'all? Welcome. Welcome back. Great to speak to everybody in the ether. Thank you again for bringing your hearts and your ears. And we're so happy to have you back. We are joined here by two incredible humans. Jonathan, Jerry, introduce yourselves. Say hello to our fans, our audience. Welcome, friends. Thank you so much for having us. We're, we're excited. So we are here today to learn a little bit more about you guys, understanding how you got to where you are today. Talk to us about your origin stories. Freshman year of college, where I remember uh, I was at the dorms, and there were two other students in the hall, and one of whom ran out of her room screaming, oh my God, I got an internship. And everyone else came. I was like, oh my God, congratulations. And I literally sat there being like, what's an internship? And she was saying, yeah, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be at Goldman Sachs and invest in banking at Hong Kong. And people were like, oh my God, congrats. And I was like, what is investment banking? What is Goldman? I had no idea what that was. Only later to realize that like that person had only uh, had had gotten that role in part because their family had extremely tight connections with a lot of the global managing directors. To me, that's where something clicked in my mind where I could have thought the situation in one of two ways. I could have thought to myself and said, wow, that really sucks that I don't have anyone in my network who can vouch for me like that. Or the other way I could have thought was, listen, if that person can do it because I knew someone, so can I. And so thankfully, I think because of sort of the values that I grew up with, I very much leaned towards the latter. All that to me has made me realize, oh my God, there is a really big institutional knowledge gap that needs to be fixed here. That was where I began to realize, man, like we, I definitely need to do something in this space. I don't know what it's going to be. Initially, once I graduated, I thought to myself, well, my outlet to helping fix this problem is going to be to create content on LinkedIn. So that to me was that initial start. Same for me too. I feel like there's a lot of privileges that a lot of people have, especially when working at these respective companies, because maybe their aunt already works at a McKinsey or their uncle already works at a Meta. And for me, I didn't know anything about careers until I was only a senior in college. 
And I remember I was saying to myself, okay, like let's get into the big four, which is the accounting companies. Because I thought that would be the only way to get into tech because that's what everybody said. And everyone was like, oh, it's impossible to get into these respective big name tech companies because we don't go to a school where the opportunities come here. But I realized that it is possible because a lot of people will just self-reject themselves before going for the roles. When you think about career coaches, career development folks, you think of people who've been in the space for 20, 15 years, probably in their mid, late 40s, and they charge 2000 bucks an hour for career consulting. And so for us, I think in a lot of ways, we were sort of the pioneers in defining, hey, listen, just because we don't have the age or we don't look like a certain way, that doesn't mean that we don't have we don't have an opportunity to add value. That that doesn't mean that we aren't the right people to be solving these problems. We are the right people to be solving these problems because we personally have felt and continue to see the problems happening on the ground every single day. That is exactly what drives us to create content every single day. And so as I sort of think about my underdog story and having to realize, hey, listen, I want to do something in the world one day where I can do this. Listen, we aren't 45-year-old middle-aged white Caucasian males who charge 2000 bucks an hour. But I still do believe... Do- <laughs> Crazy, right? I had no idea. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> I come from a first-generation low-income household. And so for me, I wear that very proudly as a badge because I feel like that has instilled the the virtues of hard work, persistence, never giving up into me that I sort of apply throughout my entire career. And so come college, I had never heard of what an internship was. I heck, I didn't even know how to tie a tie. But it was at that moment where I began to realize that, hey, I have so much more to learn about what it means to be a professional. So you sort of fast forward through the first couple of years of my college I began to realize um, that, hey, applying to 300 jobs a semester for me to get an internship every single semester wasn't the best utilization of my time. And so that's where I started learning about the concept of networking and going beyond the application process, which later began to be the foundation of what we do with one consulting. For me, I was trying to go for a lot of these big name companies. But I attended a school that didn't have companies directly recruit from my school, which is basically a non-target school. So when I was simply applying to a lot of the roles I was going for, I was getting rejected for them. And I thought to myself, why is this the case? But by actually networking and creating human connections with individuals who have guided me throughout my own journey, whether it's providing insights, whether it's getting referred, whether it's getting recommended to someone who's on the actual hiring team, was able to land at Snapchat, Google, and Cisco. But before all that, had no connections whatsoever. It was just all from utilizing LinkedIn and other social media platforms to meet individuals and putting yourself out there. For us, a lot of people have a dream career in quotations when they start. For me, it was getting into tech, right? Getting into a Google, getting into a big corporate company, which a lot of people aspire to get into. But you soon realize that working in these respective companies you are a small fish in a big pond, but also your dream company might change. And that for me, and Jerry can probably test for his own too, sometimes your dream company is your own company. That to me is something special. Was there a magic moment, a eureka revelation or catalyst that said, I need to start my own thing? 
right? That dream company is no longer what I want. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy because a memory that came back to me was when I first found out who John was. And John was at the time in LA and he was just doing workshops at local universities and colleges just because he loved to do it. And so I remember I came across one of his LinkedIn posts. He and I connected and we said, hey, listen, whenever you come up to the Bay, let's do something together. And he said, okay, cool. He eventually came up to the Bay to work at Google. And then I remember we were doing a number of these workshops. And the first one was at UC Berkeley. Once we did that, we then had, we posted about it on LinkedIn. Then three more schools reached out. Then we went to school number two, did the whole workshop, posted about it. Three more schools reached out. Then we went on to the third one. And we sort of had this really weird networking tree of us just getting invited to do these opportunities. And John and myself, we genuinely just loved the idea. It's sort of that like aha moment in people's faces when we would do these workshops. But it wasn't until the moment when someone started asking us, Hey, hey, John and Jerry, do you guys do resumes? We're like, yeah, yeah, for sure we do. And they're like, how much? And we're like, what? Wait, what do you, I mean, how, I mean, okay, uh, $20, right? <laughs> cover, cover our lunch, right? And so and I think that's where we began to realize, hey, maybe there is a need for things like this. And that's really how things got started. From occasional workshops three years ago, Jerry and Jonathan have since established partnerships with companies like LinkedIn and Handshake grown their company to a team of almost 30 people, and been covered in Forbes, Business Insider, and Fortune, just to name a few. When did this become real for the two of you, the gravity and seriousness of starting a business together, where that conversation about your work dynamic and who is going to do what, you know, CEO, COO, this is where your roles begin and end. I was working at Cisco and COVID-19 happened. And what happened was my job actually got affected by COVID-19 layoffs. So went full-time with it. And it was only about four of us, if I'm correct. And we were thinking to ourselves, okay, like we're getting really big on LinkedIn, which is our platform that we were most known as. Should we get on other platforms? And so we got on TikTok, we got on Instagram, and we saw a huge amount of conversions coming from those platforms. So when we were able to focus directly on what impacts the business and what helps it grow, we were able to hire, like we're hiring right now as full-time sales coordinator. It's crazy to think about because I would never imagine hiring someone full-time for my own company. The large community Jerry and Jonathan built for One Salting demanded a strong team to run it. Setting goals and making use of their team's resources were critical to unsalting success and making sure the team remained on track. John and I sort of have a rough outline of what we want to accomplish this year. We then break it down by how we think we're going to be able to achieve this from sales numbers, marketing numbers, ops numbers, and, and everything else in between, and have goals by month of what we hope to achieve for us to be able to achieve our broader mission of the goals that we had set. And as a result, we then designed teams around to help achieve those goals. And so we very much take a very structured approach where we have a sort of a key vision of what we want to accomplish. That's generally the way that we structure our business, how we think about priorities and how we think about hiring. Mm. I think we live in, in this world and New York specifically, that 
and generationally that it's go, go, go. The more work, the more you produce, the better you are. And if we're not working, we need to appear like we're working. And I've seen it when I've lived in New York. I've seen it when living in South Korea. I've seen it in, in quite a few capacities. And I'm curious, do you have those moments? How do you spend those moments if you do? And how do you protect the vegetableness, like the the life outside of this work that can seem very validating and can be the sole definition of you. It's actually really timely that you bring this up because John and I were actually talking about this exact topic because I think for us, our roles are a little bit funny because we have to be business executives, but we also have to be content creators. And both those are full-time jobs. And if you treat one of them like a part-time job, well, you're going to get part-time job results. And so one of the things that John and I recently talked about was saying, hey, listen, like, what are we? Are we more executives? Are we more content creators? And if so, what's the balance between that? And are we okay with those results if that means that one side might slip? So for example, if we think of ourselves as more as executives, then are we okay dedicating more time to building the business, less so on content creation, knowing that our content might slip in terms of growth? And so for us, I think that's probably the biggest thing we struggle with, understanding that balance. And so we know what it takes to create content every single day on three platforms. But then from a work perspective, that this is only getting bigger, right? Are there systems that you guys have in place that help foster and nurture those kinds of realizations? Yeah, I would say that Jerry and I do have weekly stand-ups. But recently, Jerry and I were in like an executive coaching session with one of Jerry's mentors who was super thankful to have. Shout out to Raf if you're listening in. <laughs> but that session made me realize like that what are my own priorities or where is my mindset? Is it in the correct place or not? So I feel like those sessions and just having one-on-one sessions with Jerry every week, we always come up with the realizations of what's what we're feeling and we're very transparent about it with each other, which has allowed us to grow as individuals. Yeah. And I think with at least between me and John, I think we're going to start using an executive coach to help foster these important conversations, which has been super cool to try out this past weekend at least with our team, one of the things that we try to do on a quarterly basis or whatever is we try to bring in external consultants, sort of host workshops. So most recently, we had a sort of leadership offsite where we had one of my buddies who was an innovation consultant for about four or five years, worked with a Fortune Fortune 100 company management teams to help foster these type of discussions. And at least with our leadership team, that's how we try to have these open conversations. In addition, one thing that we do every once in a while, maybe once every quarter, once twice a year, is that John and I will say, hey, listen, um, to everyone on the team, listen, we want to share feedback. And but most importantly, we want to hear your feedback on the company. So I remember last year we did a, a an anonymous survey we give people the opportunity to say things that they maybe they may not feel as comfortable sharing um, directly to us. And so I think at those three levels for up uh, between me and John at the executive level and our team level, that's how we try to foster those types of conversations. It's clear here that connecting often with your team and getting feedback is just one crucial element to effectively lead an organization. 
Yet with the many avenues Jerry and Jonathan were exploring, it's even more apparent that building systems to support each other as co-founders was the bedrock of their company. It allowed them to organize their weeks and days more efficiently, grow their business, empower their team, and protect their time. So in the morning, we usually do a meditation with one of our team members who he's our web developer, but he also had, runs a Facebook group with 400,000 people. Then we'll have a ton of meetings specifically with leaders on our team. And we also have been doing a lot of one-on-ones with each of our individual team members just to make sure, number one, our priorities are aligned, but also just talking about their own personal goals and aspirations. Tuesdays and Thursdays are more lax for us. We try not to have as many meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The reason being is because those days are mostly heads down work. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would plus one to that. So um, Tuesday, Thursdays, for sure. We try, try to keep it no meetings unless we have cool opportunities like this to be on cool podcast. Hey, you know, I was waiting we make for you to say that. <laughs> yeah, we right. make exceptions. <laughs> yeah, say, thank you like, guys. For, thanks for driving <laughs> right. in today. Like, wait, thank wait, you. Wait, what day is it today? <laughs> I feel like what's really good about our work schedules is that Jerry and I hold each other very accountable to what we're doing, but also we remind ourselves to take breaks. So for example, I'm actually going to the Philippines from May 12 to June 4th. And in my head, I was like, dang, like maybe I should check in on the team and see if everything is okay, like throughout the weeks. But Jerry was like, no, just take a break, take a break. Don't look at your laptop. And I was like, okay, fine, fine. Right. But I feel confident that Jerry will be able to lead the team even more. And Jerry's been able to instill that confidence in me to say, hey, like if one of us takes a break, it's okay. We'll still be running the ship even further along. Like, it's crazy to think about because last month, for example, or two months ago, Jerry actually went on vacation for about maybe like two, three weeks. And we saw a growth of like 10%, right? And I remember Jerry was like, and Jerry was like, oh my gosh, like, should I ever come back? I'm here, like, we do that. Yeah, I was like, I want to leave. <laughs> Sorry, so guys. So like, but then the next month we grew even like 15% more. So maybe it's going to be switched, Jerry. Maybe I won't come back after this vacation. I feel like- right. A, like for a company to be successful, you should, as co-founders, you should trust in one another to deliver results and also be, be an asset to the team, of course. Neil and I are speaking to Jonathan Javier and Jerry Lee about how crucial it's been for them as co-founders to build a relationship of trust and reliability for one salting success. We're digging deeper on how they brought their personal strengths to the table and use them as a foundation for their work. When I was uh, working on the, the uh, National Consumer Package Goods startup, I enlightened with my buddy. There was actually a moment. He had an office on Fifth Avenue, sat me down and like painted the vision. It was Lion King Simba style of like, this could <laughs> all be yours, right? And saying like, this is the vision and I want you as my partner for this. We talked about roles and responsibilities, but that was when there was a real negotiation of what do you want to do? What does this mean? Where do you see yourself? Seeing if those aligned. And I'm curious because it, it is really hard to find that co-founder, um, especially given that you guys, I had, you know, five, 10 years of friendship behind us and you guys met through LinkedIn. W- was, was there a cool, you're going to do this. I'm going to do this. Great. Thanks so much. Shake your hands and 50-50. It very much happened organically. And as sort of John mentioned, one of the key principles that 
looking back that we realized is that what we did at the time was a commodity. Reviewing people's resumes, reviewing people's interview prep, all that stuff. Anyone else can do it. So what differentiated us, I feel like, was the marketing piece. It was that marketing to help set the foundation for us to do everything that we can today. And so for me, when I was coming on full-time and the line of work that I was doing, I was doing business strategy work for Google for a multi-billion dollar business unit at Google that was growing at double digits uh, year over year. And so all the work that I was doing was foundational work stuff, project management, working across marketing, sales, products, executives, and stakeholder management. And so I got an insider's look at how companies run businesses. And so it was very natural for me to sort of take on that like business, the business owner type mindset. Whereas John, I feel like his really his real strong suit is being able to communicate, storytell, connecting and building communities. And so initially I think we were really lucky in a sense that we didn't we didn't have an overlapping set of skills. Rather, they were extremely complementary and extremely necessary for the type of business that we were doing at the time. And I think it's extremely important when you're trying to find a co-founder that you remove all the emotion, remove all the ego and say, beyond job titles, beyond whatever, what is the right thing to do for the business? And I think that's one thing that John has continually taught me. And I feel like John leading through example has brought us to where we are today. That scale and that growth can come with some growing pains. And it sounds like y'all have navigated it really well. To share what Neil was saying, like we both come from entrepreneurial backgrounds or at least in that mode now. And I'm learning a lot of these lessons that you're talking about now in real time. I'm really interested for our listeners, because you've, you've referenced it a few times, career coaches, mentors, sort of guiding lights. How did you find these people? At what point in your career did you either reach out or connect with them and establish a relationship with them that has manifested in what seems to be regular feedback, lessons, education, really kind of setting yourself up for success? I think it's just been from maintaining relationships with these individuals and staying in touch. I feel like a lot of people will meet someone, they'll network with them, and then they'll be like, okay, like let's stay in touch. And then they never actually stay in touch. What we love to do is to keep track of who we connect with and also send them, always send them updates of what we've been up to. And that's one of the most important parts of networking that nobody does. Like Jerry and I, we've connected with so many individuals from the past less than 1%, probably even less than 0.1% actually even follow up and stay in touch. Hmm. And the additional point there is I think having the humility to just say, listen, we don't know everything and we need a lot of help. And we know that you're an expert in said field. Destroy us, right? Like give it to us straight. And so I think that's one of the, one of the things that John and I try to always have in mind is just lead with a humble heart, making sure that we don't always assume we have all the right answers because 90% of the time we definitely don't. And so that's why we try to hire smart people on our team to help us get to those smart people answers because there's just no way that John or I have the intellectual capacity of our entire team, nor do we have the bandwidth to do all that. If there's one thing that continually keeps us on our, on our toes, is just recurring calendar advice with mentors. So I think for me, having that layer of accountability is extremely important, not only externally, but also internally. And how we give it back is we create this free content out there for the world to see so they can be able to utilize it to get jobs. But there's some individuals who need that 
white glove handholding service, which we offer as well. But we've seen a ton of people land jobs through our free content. It might take six months, but free co- uh, paid content on average, when we work one-on-one with our team, takes average of three months. So it's literally half. Yeah. And we, one of the things that you know John and I sort of always joke about is that like if someone had the time to like go through every single one of our TikToks and every single one of our LinkedIn posts and our Instagram posts, it is one of those things that I think at, at the core essence of what we do, yeah, we could try to gatekeep all this and say, no, no, like th- this is our territory, right? But if there's anything that we've learned through our personal and professional experiences is that there's always enough to go around. The secret to Jerry and Jonathan's success is their commitment to their mission of accessibility. It's the quality of their services and their effective use of social media to entice customers. And even more than that, it's that they know exactly what they can do and what they can't. Their work embodies the idea that you can never achieve it if you don't believe it. Because at the end of the day, they know that their customer's true power lies within themselves. If you think about why someone is not getting a job and you're trying to quantify why they are not getting a job, what percentage do you believe is because they don't have the right experience or right knowledge? And what percentage of it do you believe is because they don't feel like they have enough confidence or they don't feel like they're good enough? Majority of the time, so very surprisingly, you're going to hear, I'm not ready yet. I'm going to wait two, three years and then I'll be ready. Almost as if they're like saying, I'm not good enough. Mm. Writing a resume is important. Yes, interviewing is important. But there's this whole psychological thing that's a little bit less tangible, that's a little bit less, you know, you can't really see it. Is there something that enables your confidence when you're in a dip? Hell yeah. One thing that has been incredibly helpful, for me, especially for me personally as a creator, as an entrepreneur, is just having someone who's going through it with you understand exactly what you're feeling and them being your support system. That confidence, self-confidence, self-rejection, and the job search process specifically is everything. Well said. Well said. I think this is very connected to your catchphrase, which is turning underdogs um, into winners. We asked about the origins of one salting slogan, why it was important to them, and what it means to be an underdog. An underdog is someone who's been through obstacles in their lives, whether it's mentally, whether it's through rejections, whether it's your own feeling. It stems from that mentality of you being an underdog and we help you turn into a winner. I think historically, when you think about the whole career consulting space, you don't think of two Asian dudes who are uh, 27 years old and who create content on and have a social media presence. I don't think that's the first thing that comes to mind for most people. I think when you think about career coaches, career development folks, you think of people who are who have been in the space for 20, 15 years, probably in their mid, late 40s, and they charge 2000 bucks an hour for career consulting. And so for us, I think in a lot of ways, we were sort of the pioneers in defining, hey, listen, just because we don't have the age or we don't look like a certain way, that doesn't mean that we don't have we don't have an opportunity to add value. That that doesn't mean that we aren't the right people to be solving these problems. We are the right people to be solving these problems because we personally have felt and continue to see the problems happening on the ground every single day because that's, that is exactly what drives us to create content every single day. And so as I sort of think about, well, hey, listen, 
as my my underdog story and having to realize, hey, listen, I want to do something in the world one day where I can do this. I, I do feel like, as a result of that, we're doing our work to continue to break down that stigma of what career coaching is, what cr- seeking out career help means, and making sure that people are educated enough, whether it's through our paid or free content, that you that you have to be aware of these of how to write a resume of how to interview or how to network otherwise you're gonna be left behind in the job market today continuing to fight the stigma of what career coaching is what it means to the users but also just making sure people are aware of how important it is for you to be proactive in your career anyone can identify as an underdog whether you go to a target school right maybe you are a specific minority at that target school you can still be an underdog Maybe you've been rejected for roles, or maybe you're trying to get into a specific VC like Y Combinator and you get rejected. You can still consider yourself as an underdog. I feel like that underdog mentality and adapting that mentality is important because that'll inspire and motivate you even more to continuously keep hitting your goals. It's like in the March Madness, when March Madness was going on, nobody wanted Kansas to win. I hope nobody listening and want Kansas to win, but everybody wanted St. Peter's to win because they're the underdog. So by considering ourselves the underdogs, I feel like we keep on aspiring to help other underdogs too. And it builds a community of individuals who want very similar goals and have similar values. So until now, we've heard a lot from Jonathan and Jerry as they've answered the questions Neil and I have been wondering about. But we wanted to shake things up a bit and add a new segment to this episode. We got connected to One Salting through one of our colleagues at Leave Looking Up, Taylor Zansberg. She's been listening in today, and we asked if she wanted to stop by and say hello and ask them a question, too. Hi, guys. First of all, thank you so much for joining. So good to see you. And like, I've been just smiling ear to ear the whole time. Um, The question is, what leaves both of you looking up? What keeps me positive is individuals like yourself, Taylor, who we've been able to help land their dream jobs or land a job. And, you know... I'm going to give huge kudos to Taylor. Taylor was and is probably the one who stayed in touch with us the most regarding her own job search. So as I look up, I would say I'm looking forward to helping more people land jobs and more of those success stories. For me, what keeps me looking up is that our success is deeply rooted with the success of our community. And if our community isn't successful, then we're also not going to be successful. So I think it's those things that help me keep myself grounded in making sure we're doing the right things, but most importantly, that we're ultimately still solving the same mission that we were trying to solve four years ago. We're approaching this last part, which is one of our favorite, this closing of a little bit of a rapid fire. So you guys have three to five seconds, answer the questions as your gut and your heart responds, whatever it might be. Amir and I are going to go back and forth, and then we're going to wrap up. How's that sound? Let's do it. Okay. Question one. Who is your inspiration? Mom and dad. Yeah, I'll say my mom and dad. Yeah, same. What is your favorite drink? Uh, Water. Kumquat juice. Actually, no. (laughs) Uh, Biggest fear? Failure. Mm, Yeah, failure too say disappointment and lastly if you could live anywhere in the world where would it be 
New York City, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Oh. <laughs> uh, Philippines John's on like, island. I don't know about that. Probably <laughs> yeah. in the Philippines on my own private island. Okay. Jonathan, Jerry, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing some wisdom. You're definitely going to leave me looking up after this. And so for everyone that's here and listening and tuning in, thank you so much. You can find out about Jonathan and Jerry on Instagram. They are all over the place and through One Salting. Jonathan, Jerry, if there are folks that want to get in touch with you, what is the best way? Yeah, please message us on, message us on Instagram, Jonathan Words of Wisdom, Jerry's Jerry H. Lee. Um, and yeah, if, you, if you're interested in any of our services, we work one-on-one with individuals, definitely visit onesolting.com slash services. And we also have a lot of free templates and free resources on onesolting.com slash resources. For folks that love what they're hearing today and want to hear and see more, we have the complete uncut and raw episodes in video form available online on our fan page via Patreon at www.leavelookingup.com slash fans. There you can support what we're creating. Hear sound bites that didn't make it to the final cut. Gain wisdom from our guests, score merch, be the first to access our content, and more. Also, we'd like to take a second to thank you for joining us today. So if you haven't already, please be sure to leave a rating and review of the podcast in your app of choice. Leave Looking Up is hosted by myself, Neil Ludevic, and my co-host, Amir Jandali, and produced by our small but mighty team at Moon 31, a company dedicated to creating platforms for meaningful conversation that tackle the important issues of today. This episode was created through the combined efforts of myself as executive producer and our lead producer, Lushik Lotus-Lee. Editor Andrea Koskai, engineer Alexander Rossi, with support from Eric Aaron. The Moon 31 team also includes designer Andrea Kang, Glass Slipper Media, and engineer Justin Jet Carter. Original theme music by Brady Watt, and background music provided from Blue Dot Sessions. Mm-hmm.